It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Try and get the best quality that I can. And then I'll, I'll eventually invest in an iMac, I think, which has, and then put like a really amazing 4K streaming thing to make it like red hot. Mm-hmm. Um, now, are you excited? I'm stoked. <laughs> I'm so, stoked. So, <laughs> so uh, what I'll do is I'll just do my um, fabulous introduction, which is unlike the one that you do with Meredith or uh, any regular podcast. I don't reel off your bio. I kind of like to let it organically flow out. And um, But I'll ask you where people can find you as we're wrapping it up. And the last question will just be, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience? And then that, that that's just your cue to – so we'll just find an organic finish to it. And Yep, I've got it. I've got an idea for that that wrap-up. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, no, you know, uh, it's it's funny. Be, um, when I used to play high school sports, we would get right before the games, we would be in the locker room, and there was a, a band out of Florida called um, The Outlaws, and they had this they have this song, Green Grass and High Tides. It's about nine and a half minutes, and it's my all time pump up song. And I actually play it before uh, I played it before all my marathons, all my road races, all my long bike rides. And uh, I just played it before you and I jumped on this call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it never gets old. It's, it's a 40 plus year old song. Brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I might have heard so, it. Send, would you send me the, uh, send me a link to it afterwards? Because if you like it, I'll like it, I promise you. Oh, it, it's it's just fantastic. It gets your blood flowing. Brilliant. Um, hey, just quickly, out of courtesy, uh, t- do you have any time commitments that you need to honour at all? None. Any, anything you don't want to talk about? Um, I don't know. I can't think of anything, you know. Um, not that I'd, I haven't deliberately planned any, you know. Have you ever... Cheated on your wife? <laughs> Questions. Mm-hmm. Let me plead the fifth on that. Uh, <laughs> it's so interesting because no. my first question is around the Fifth Amendment. By the way. Oh yeah. Are you like it's it's like you knew. Um, you want to get stuck in? Yeah. All right. Three, two, one. Carl Fix, welcome to the show. Welcome to become your own superhero. Thank you so much, Laban, for having me on. I'm really, really excited to be here. It's uh, it's quite a privilege, and uh, I can't wait for our conversation. Well, thank you for saying that, and the honor is all mine. You are a high-quality human being, Carl, and it's an absolute thrill to have you on here. And, and I'd love to start off with a real curly one for you, if I could. Sure. What does pleading the fifth 
mean for the uninitiated? Pleading the fifth is based on the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution, where you have the right to remain silent. So if you plead the fifth, you are invoking that right, which is constitutionally guaranteed to all U.S. citizens to not uh, have to offer testimony uh, that may incriminate you. So it's become a euphemism for I really don't want to answer that question uh, in multiple settings. So that's plead the fifth. Well, here's a follow-up question that just came into my head as you were sharing this. This is this to give you an idea of where my brain goes, right? What if someone is arrested, pleads the fifth, but suffers from Tourette? Is the Tourette admissible in court? Uh, that's a good question, and I've never practiced criminal law, but um, I think whatever you say can and ha- uh, will be held against you. So if it's a Tourette's outburst, then it seems to be fair game to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine <laughs> that? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, one caveat to the Fifth Amendment is that uh, juries are instructed that they cannot draw an adverse inference against the person who invokes the fifth. So the judge will instruct the jury that you're not to read anything into it. But uh, the jury's out on that as to whether they read stuff into it or not. And I think we know the answer to that. Well, this is so interesting. And Carl, for our audience, why do you know so much about the law? Well, I practiced law for 33 years, 1988 to 2021. And what's, what type of law did you specialize in? I specialized in uh, construction law and a little bit of employment, but uh, mostly construction. Now, for the folks at home, that's no longer Carl's occupation. He's he's doing some other things now, which we'll get into. But I suppose a follow-up question for that is, what is it about practicing law for such a long time that sort of so dramatically impacted your life and what you're doing now? Well, uh, the short answer is the practice of law, I was on the litigation side of the ledger. You really have two sides, transactional or litigation. And litigation to me most clearly mimicked uh, athletic competition. And I've always been a sports fan and I've always played sports and I've engaged in all types of athletic activities since I could walk. So as I got older, I needed to satisfy the competitive nature within me and the, uh, the insatiable appetite and thirst for athletic competition. And to me, being a courtroom lawyer or engaged in litigation most clearly mimicked that where I could actually do that and I could actually make money doing it and I could actually have fun doing it. So that's what I, that's what I did. And in order to, uh, what made me more resilient throughout is that I was always uh, working out and trying to stay fit in order to practice my profession, because litigation lends itself to very, very long days and very long weeks, especially if you are on trial. So that the, what I'm doing now dovetails with what I've done for uh, most of my career. So if someone was to ask you in a lift, Carl, what is it that you do? What do you say? I say 
I help busy professionals reclaim their wellness. That is the I help X do Y in a very tight soundbite. But basically, I want to help folks, and I am helping folks that are very, very busy, who uh, either once were in shape or if they weren't in shape, want to get into shape, those that may have fallen off the fitness wagon and want to get back on it. But uh, the, the, the single, one of the single biggest blocks is time. So uh, it's, I help busy professionals reclaim their wellness, get it back because it's a, uh, to me, it's a cornerstone success principle in business. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's funny, I was listening to your interview with Meredith Bell and one of the questions came up was, uh, what do you say to people that you're coaching that say they don't have enough time? And I was screaming, uh, not <laughs> not not super loud, but I was screaming saying, make time, make time, you lazy bastard. And uh, you've got a bit more tact <laughs> than I when it comes to this kind of thing. What do you say to people that say, I don't have time to be healthy or be fit? Well, uh, I'm right with you on the make time thing. Make it a priority. Schedule it. Uh, we schedule so many things. Um, many people, I mean, Starbucks, uh, people will go to Starbucks. This is before you could order on the app, but people would go to Starbucks and wait 20 minutes for a coffee. You can have a fantastic workout in 20 minutes. So you've got time to go to Starbucks and wait for your coffee. You have 20 minutes to get in a little fitness and elevate your heart rate. Uh, so it's a matter of, I, I believe, prioritizing it. And the, one of the ways you can do that is via scheduling. Just schedule it like like anything else. And what's the demographic de- demographic of people that you're not ordinarily dealing with, Carl? Uh, well, I, I just chatted a couple weeks ago with a young guy who is a, a fifth-year associate, meaning he has been out of law school for five years, and young guy. And he was a college athlete and he was lamenting the fact that he was so busy, he let his um, physical fitness fade. And I said to him, uh, Joe, I was exactly where you are right now. I got out of law school in 1988. I did let things go in those first four or five years because they're critically important to basically establishing yourself as a lawyer. And around 1993, 1994, so five to six years into my career, I realized this was not sustainable. So I set a goal to uh, run a marathon. I wanted to run the New York City Marathon. And I did that in 95, so seven years out. So I, when I was chatting with this young guy, I said, don't lose hope. I've been there and we can turn this around. So you've got, on the one hand, young guys that are getting involved in the practice and don't think they have enough time. And then uh, I'm 57 years old. There, there are folks who, uh, you know, a lot of my friends, we played sports together as younger guys. And some of them may not be as active as I am um, for whatever reason, but that's a demographic as well. Again, people that were once very active and are no longer and want to get it back, but don't really know how to get there. Yeah, it's, well, it's really great, Carl. And you are a really inspiring dude, and we've got to know each other over the last few months. And and I just the thing I really love about you and the way that you go about life is that, like a lot of people in this network of people that we hang out with, uh, you come from a, a go giver mentality. You are like unbelievably generous with your knowledge, and 
you know, you, you've got this amazing um, articles that come out with your Friday fix, which people should absolutely uh, subscribe to. And you published, um, I think, bi-weekly in a, uh, in a publication as well that goes out, um, which we can talk about in a minute as well. But you, you're no stranger to adversity. Uh, but the, the other thing I love about you is that you've taken a lot of that adversity and, and used it as your superpower, which we talk about a lot on this podcast. And I'm curious to know whether you're happy to share something that's happened to you that you've now taken and used as your new superpower. Well, sure. Um, I mean, we all we all get dealt a hand of cards uh, and some are good and some are not so good. And, um, I have had, you know, some ups and downs, um, uh, my career, frankly, uh, the genesis of that was, uh, some adversity. Uh, my second year of college didn't go as, uh, well as expected. I wanted to spend my third or my junior year abroad. This would have been 1983 into 1984, but because my second year didn't go well, my father, who never went to college, he fought in a war called World War II, uh, said, no, you're not going abroad. And that was a bad mistake on my part because uh, my friends that went abroad ended up at the 1984 Winter Olympics in Sarajevo. And they got to see that beautiful city before it was reduced pretty much to rubble in the Civil War. So I lament the fact that I screwed that up. However, um, because I was I stayed stateside, I actually buckled down, and that was the catalyst to get me into law school. Had I stayed on that trajectory, Laban, there's no way, no how, I would have figured it out, and I would have made it into law school. So that one thing that my father did, which was I came off the rails, he put me back on the rails through some tough love, and that frankly got me going down this path of lawyering. And Lawyering is a good thing because we're in service to people, and that's where I'm most comfortable. Um, so, a little bit of adversity there, but I, I turned that into, a, a, I think, a positive because it led me uh, to what, what was a very, very satisfying career. Yeah, and you, I mean, you did so beautifully, and uh, you were a partner <laughs> up until of a very successful law firm, and I think that's. It's a really important point to get to to bring up because you've given up something that people strive to work towards their whole lives to pursue this passion that you have now to to be of service and help people to get their health and well being back in order. And I think, I mean, as you as you're relatively new as I as I am, you're understanding. You know, it's not an easy transition. It's not a smooth transition. Um, no, no, it's not. And it's it's the profession is very, uh, again, it's a very noble profession. It served me very well. But uh, there are parts of it that need uh, a, a tune up. And I'll give you, for instance, the billable hour. Uh, we live and die by that in the States. And that is uh, I bill, a, I would bill a client for every six minutes of my time. As a result, you become obsessed. It becomes your prison. Uh, you view the world through this six minute lens. Uh, if I'm speaking to you on the phone and I, I know that it's going to be a 30-minute call, I say, Laban Ditchburn, he's a 0.5. I just know you're going to be a 0.5. That's how you look at life. And as a result, you don't do things which may uh, be good for you physically or mentally because you can't build them. 
if if it's not a billable quote unquote activity, then it is frowned upon. And there needs to be a shift in the profession, frankly, um, where it's actually encouraged. So hypothetically, a young associate wants to go to the gym. She goes to the gym for one hour. We're able to record that. And that is counted as one of her billable hours. Then the pressure is off. She's allowed to work out and maintain some sort of fitness, which allows her to frankly be more productive. Uh, there, a lot of that doesn't go on. It's, it's frowned upon. It's, it's, um, you know, I used to call it the salt mine. You know, I'd be having lunch with somebody and I'd say, well, I got to go back to the salt mine. <laughs> it's just the, the kind of the atmosphere of the profession. That's how you, that's how you live in that profession. And it's not overly healthy. So I see young lawyers, I see them struggle and there's, there are better ways to go about it. And, uh, that's what I'm, I'm just trying to get that message out. Well, we glossed over it a little bit with your New York marathon, but how many marathons have you and half marathons have you completed now, Carl? Uh, I've got 27 marathons under my belt. Uh, I've got just one 50 kilometer. I, I wanted more, but I've got a <laughs> bit of a balky hip. Uh, half marathons, I don't know, probably two or three dozen. Uh, I'm a big fan of the half marathon. It, it's much more, um, it, it's easier on your body. But uh, I was bitten by the marathon bug, and uh, I just couldn't stop running. And they're they're uh, just great events, and they're really metaphors for life. They uh, what happens in twenty six point two miles? Just a an absolute metaphor for life. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, and I was thinking it was a question I had around because um, with ultra marathon running it's anything more than than 26 miles right 26.2 or 42.2 is there a distance in cycling that becomes ultra riding um, I, I think a century or 100 miles seems to be uh so i don't know it's 150 or 160 kilometers uh the the 100 mile mark seems to be mythical might be a little too dramatic, but that seems to be uh, the number. Although there are a lot of rides that are metric centuries, so it's 100 kilometers, 62 miles. Um, that that puts you kind of in the in the endurance category, I believe, uh, or the ultra category. Yeah, it's an in- interesting. I'd never really thought about it that way, and I was like, oh, I wonder if there is actually a term for particular because I I'm not much of a cyclist, uh, only because. Running for me has is like my meditation. It's very cathartic, but it's also I don't have a bike, and uh, I've, or actually I've been borrowing my darling fiance's bike, so I'm riding a a girl's bike. But I'm at a point <laughs> in my life now where I that I don't care about that, whether anyone's judging me for that or not. And occasionally she'll go rollerblading, and I'll I'll tow her on on her bike, um, which is often a bit of fun. But the the allure of an Ironman is always in the back of my mind uh, you know as you know i've completed some ultra distance challenges which are you know life changing uh but i i'm not a strong swimmer at the moment i am moving to a place that, that will be next to the beach but i'm also negatively buoyant and for people that have never heard of this term before it means because of my muscle mass apparently uh that i float i sink rather 
I sink uh, when I'm trying to just like relax in in most water. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're not a strong swimmer and you sink naturally, like the appeal of doing a 3.8 kilometer uh, swim isn't isn't that great. Is that anything that you've thought about completing, Carl? Uh, absolutely. And uh, truth be told, I, I do have a bit of a bulky hip. I'm not sure that I could run a marathon. Uh, so that would take me out of the full triathlon phase. But I do know some tries allow wetsuits, which might, which might solve your buoyancy problem. That's plan A. Plan B would be to just swim faster before you sink. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thought you might say that. Back to your comment about running being cathartic, um, it was and and remains incredibly cathartic for me. Uh, There is nothing, frankly, like a sunrise when you're running. Uh, And I would never run with um, earphones. I just wanted to hear what was around me, chiefly cars, although you run against traffic. But I I wanted to hear my footfalls. I want to hear uh, a red-tailed hawk screeching. I want to hear a waterfall. Uh, I want to see that sunrise. Now, when you're on a bike going 20 miles an hour, it's not the best and wisest thing to do to look up at the sunrise because you're going fast. But you can still catch some stuff that is pretty remarkable. Uh, just two, three weeks ago, I was riding near my house and I saw debris falling from a tree and I looked up and on in the tree was a black bear tearing branches off of the tree. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. So uh, big, we have a lot of black bear in my neighborhood. And this guy was big. And I rode under the tree branch, hoping he didn't fall on me. And then I I went another 50 yards and thought, I really need to take a picture of this. So I stopped and I carry my iPhone, not for music, but for safety in case I need it. And I turned around and I snapped a photo. And it was just one of those moments where, you know, I saw that I saw the debris on the ground and I instinctively looked up and I was greeted with this kind of an interesting sight, a black bear. And I snapped his photo and he looked at me as if to say, you're interrupting my breakfast. And uh, I then got back on my bike and started pedaling out of there like I stole something. So he wouldn't catch me. <laughs> so those are neat. Those are neat moments that that you don't get when you're riding in a car, or tearing down the road on a motorcycle. Those are things that I think runners and and cyclists and kayakers and uh, mountaineers that that they they encounter, and those are gifts. Wouldn't it be brilliant, Carl, if you heard, hey, boo-boo, what about my picnic basket? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have dubbed him Yogi. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, God, the closest thing to a bear I've ever got is when I went to a gay bar once. And uh, that's the affectionate term. When I was more portly, um, I was known as a uh, a bear in the uh, in the, gay, the gay lingo. I think I've... Because I've slimmed gotcha. down, I'm more of an otter. <laughs> okay, so. an otter. Yeah. No, we have we have them. They walk through my backyard. Um, really? And yeah, oh yeah, they do. Uh, we have a lot of black bear, and the government they don't they don't do anything with the bear. What they'll do is they'll tag their ears, and they're deemed 
uh, it's basically three three tags or three strikes, and then you're deemed a nuisance bear, and they will catch you and cart you, you know, miles and miles away. So we'll see bears with, um, you know, one tag on on an ear or two tags or two tags and a collar. And we know that that's a bad guy because he's been caught three times. So, yeah, but they're not, we, you can't hunt them. I'm not a hunter, but you can't hunt the black bear. So they, they are reproducing at a great rate here. It used to be deer, but now it's black bear and they're, I film them and it's no big deal, but to some that have never been around a bear, it is a big deal. It's a big deal just being 6,000 miles away from your car hearing about this. Um, do, do you know if they if they attack other wildlife? Do you know if bears attack other uh, deer, for example? Best I know that black bears are not carnivores. They are herbivores, best I know. Really? Yeah. What about the ones that yep. eat the salmon? So they're more the grizzly and the, the brown bear. Uh, br- brown bear and the grizzly, yeah. But black bear, which is what we have in this in New England, um, my understanding is, uh, and by the way, it'd be good to know otherwise, seeing as they do come through my backyard, but <laughs> I'm working off the understanding that they're herbivores. <laughs> I got a funny feeling. And, if, if and by get... the way, if, if you find out otherwise, let me know. Yeah. For people that are <laughs> watching this on YouTube, I can leave something in the comments, comments below for us. That'd be really great. Yeah. Um, because Carl needs to know if his life is in danger. Because if it turns out they are omnivores and you get one that's running, that's run out of berries, it might be a Carl Fix special. Yeah, because a black bear's land speed exceeds my uh, biking speed unless I'm going downhill. So that Yogi's going to catch me. They're like, are they like 50 mile an hour or something they can get up to or some ridiculous? It, it's silly. I think it's mid to high 30s. I mean, they, they can move. That's faster uh, so. than me. <laughs> yeah, and you based and you live in you live in uh, Connecticut in New England. Y- y- yes, in Connecticut, which which I, I'm learning a lot more about. Sounds like a really beautiful pl- um, place to live in the in the United States. It, it is. Uh, I'll tell you, the winters though can get a little uh, old, for lack of a better phrase. When I was a kid, I loved them, uh, but now it just they seem to. Um, and, and times change. Uh, the winters here seem to paralyze uh, commerce. Uh, you know, we used to have a lot of blizzards when I was a kid, and a blizzard would knock people down for a day, and then we'd get on with it. Now, uh, you know, with the 24-7 news cycle, weather cycle, you're, you're hearing for days about an upcoming storm, and uh, the storm may drop, uh, you know, one inch of snow or two inches, but uh, work events get canceled, uh, you know, in the pre-pandemic, you'd then work from home and things of that nature. Um, so, and you have to wear more clothing, which is a hassle. So, um, but there are a lot of neat places. I love to ski. I ski with my daughters, uh, and we're close to some great places to ski. I do like skiing out West in the States. Uh, there's more snow, less ice in new England, there's ice, but you learn how to ski on it. Um, so there are a lot of pluses There are a couple minuses, uh, just as, as you get older, the winters get a little older. That's all they get older as you get older. Well, I've got a solution for you, Carl, that I learned about recently. And, uh, Anna and I, uh, people that listen to the podcast will know that Anna, my darling fiance, her background, she's from Russia 
And because of what's sort of been happening in the world, we've sort of been keeping our options open. And and I said to is there anywhere in Russia that's like subtropical uh, that we could, you know, maybe go and spend some time living, right? And Sochi in Russia on the Black Sea is where they held the Winter Olympics. It is okay. it is a subtropical location, but you drive a few miles up the hill and you've got access to three gnarly ski fields during the winter. And I'm just trying to wrap my head around. It's like being in Florida and then being able to drive up the mountain to to, to go and ski. So little known fact, go check out Sochi. Um, yeah. Only, the, That's the good thing, to know. Yeah, right. And uh, and the average wage in Sochi is about 500 US dollars a month. So to buy a property or to live there would be relatively inexpensive. There is some exp- expensive properties, but uh, your cost of living would be pretty low. Um, you just got to put up with a beach that's got quite a few large pebbles on it. It's not that beautiful fine sand that we'll we'll discover when we get up in Queensland later this year. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Now, Cal, you, you're f- fairly early on in this uh, this transition into this amazing um, heart centered. Uh, business that you're doing. Have you had any success stories so far that you can share with us? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, um, I'm doing a lot of writing, and um, I'm a lot of feedback that I'm getting on the writing um, uh, is really uh, knocking me over. Um, I'll give you, a, for instance, um, I just put up a post last week on LinkedIn. Last year, I cycled 3,600 miles. This year, I set a goal of 5,000. So I came up with this idea. I've got four months to get 1,400 miles. And I, I do like to ride miles in honor or in memory of folks. Uh, and I gave some examples on my post. When my uh, nephew turned 16 a few years ago, we, I took him out on a 16-mile run. My wife had an uncle who turned 100. I, I rode 100 miles in a charity ride in his honor. Um, my, I lost a brother-in-law in May. He was 61. The day after he passed, I went out and rode 61 miles. So that's kind of the theme. And, and I've gotten stuff back. I just got one the other day where uh, a friend of mine, she not only asked for 37 miles, but she asked for a particular day because that particular day in October coming up is the 37th anniversary of the passing of her father. So I will ride 37 miles on October 28th for this friend's in, in memory of this friend's father. Um, I've got other folks that somebody turned 50, uh, their business is 68 years old. Um, uh, Meredith Bell reached out to me, the incomparable Meredith Bell. She just lost a friend to cancer at the age of 69. I will ride 69 miles for this friend. So Neat things like that. Um, so I consider that a success. Um, it's not monetized, but I don't care um, because what I'm doing is resonating with folks. Um, I mean, on the true business side of the ledger, I've done a number of continuing legal education seminars for bar associations. I have one coming up October 8th for the state of Wyoming, their state bar. I'm going to do a continuing legal ed where I do a one hour presentation. And I'm able to reach more people with kind of the message. So um, I need to remind myself that it's only been, we're still inside of four months on this thing. Um, 
And it's not like the Wizard of Oz. I can't just click my heels and be in Kansas. So uh, it's been a phenomenal journey. And yes, there have been uh, what I would consider to be successes along the way. So I appreciate that question like the rest of them. Well, that's exactly what I was hoping to to hear. And, and, uh, And you've got me locked in for a marathon distance in December as well. Uh, and and the thing I love about it, Carl, and I re- and I and I really enjoy your your uh, the content that you put out and and that you write, and and I would really encourage people to subscribe to your Friday fix as well, because they are it's an accountability thing for me. It's an accountability thing for you. It's got it's got purpose and meaning. And a, a guy that I interviewed recently, uh, Keith Abraham, is an Australian speaker. He's a Hall of Fame speaker over here, and he, he came up with when the why becomes uh, when the when the the why becomes clear, rather the how becomes easy. And I think about that statement a lot, and that's a marathon distance that I wouldn't have run without you giving it some why. And mm-hmm. I think that's what I really appreciate appreciate about. And and you're not doing it from a virtue signaling, hey, you know, I'm doing this for the validation of other people. You're like, you don't give a fuck. Like, you're just like, this is the path I'm on. People want to come along. Fantastic. And it's really inspiring, Carl. And, and uh, you know, I think the goodness is going to come organically your way just because of what you do. Yeah. And I'm having a great time doing it. It's been it's been less than one week, Laban. And uh, I'll give you another, for instance, uh, uh, there's a gentleman I know in the UK, I'm going to do his podcast on September 29. And he's tied it into the UK calendar. So he writes September 29 in the UK is 29.9. So he said, will you ride 29.9 miles? I said, sure. I did that this morning. And I, you know, I had, I rode 50 miles yesterday for a friend. They're his parents have been married 50 years. So I did a 50 miler yesterday for my buddy's parents. And then this morning, I will confess in all candor, I was a little tired and I thought, ah, you know, do I want to go ride? And then I thought of my buddy in the United Kingdom and I had planned to ride 29.9. So I went out and did it. It gave my ride purpose. Uh, I mean, the ancillary benefits are fantastic. I knew it would set the compass for my day, but it was, it was, doubly beneficial because I knew uh, my friend Richard in uh, in the UK, I knew that this was what he wanted. So it just, it, it makes it a lot more fun. And it, it, it you know, we might as well have fun doing this. Um, it, you know, work is a dirty word. And while it's physically taxing, it's very, very rewarding. And uh, so it's kind of neat. Yeah, it is neat. And, and I mean, I don't want to seem like I'm blowing smoke here, Carl, but, I, you know, for people listening, uh, and a former guest uh, who you can you can watch this interview as well, uh, Dr. Fred Luskin, who is a forgiveness expert, I have to thank Carl because he's the one that read my blog post about the troubles I was having with my father and the, the, the fight that we'd got into and very kindly uh, referenced this this Fred Luskin guy to help me deal with what I was battling. And the flow-on effect from that one engagement with this amazing guy has impacted the lives of at least, 
and it hasn't even been released yet. It's at least 30, 40 people that it's impacted that I know about. So, I, like, yeah. this is the impact that you're having already. Well, I, I, if I could, I'd like to talk about that aha moment because it was an aha moment. Uh, so it was back in 2012. Uh, I was on a plane flying somewhere in the States, and I was reading the Seatback magazine the plane put out, and there was an article on forgiveness. And this particular article uh, related the story of a, of a gentleman who forgave the man who murdered his son. And it blew me away. And embedded in that article were quotes by Dr. Luskin. And I tore the article out of the magazine and I put it in my, my briefcase. And I would keep a folder, an old school physical folder. And I knew someday that I would draw upon that. And uh, however many months ago, when I read your post, it gelled. I read your post. I thought, this is a guy that I know. I, I, I know. And I respect, and he's in a bit of a crisis here. And I thought of this article and I dug it out and I got it to you. And it was very, um, it was very gratifying that this came full circle and it took nine years. So, you know, you do things along the way, which you think may not make an impact um, at that moment, but down the road, they may. And uh, that was kind of an aha moment for me. And it was, uh, I'm thrilled that you know, things have unfurled the way they have unfurled. So that's kind of a, that's the background on that. Well, uh, yeah, thank you again. Uh, it was Father's Day here on Sunday. We celebrate at a different time of the year to you jokers. And and I called up dad and because uh, we, you know, despite the forgiveness, uh, we don't engage as much as we used to. There's more of a, um, a preventative measure to keep things civil i suppose we 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 disagree with a number of things and but what what did happen off the back of that he he did say to me that he will no matter what i say or do to him he will always love me and and that helped release a lot of the the angst around everything but when i spoke to him on father's day i just said uh do you know what dad just thank you for bringing me to life thank you for giving me life and no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what levels of uh, frustration or anxiety or hate that you might be experiencing for your parents, the one thing that they did do is that they gave us life. If every single other thing that they did was horrendous, they still gave me life. And that was a real poignant moment for me. And we, you know, we spoke for 10 minutes and then I let him go on his way and, uh, you know, he said a couple of things that um, that indicate that maybe he's sort of coming around to some of the ideas that I've thrown by him. And, you know, there's some really positive stuff on the horizon as a result. And, you know, he's getting old. Uh, he's been had some health issues. And if he was to have dropped dead uh, in that time that I held all that anger towards him, would I have been able to forgive myself with even with everything that I come to learn? Maybe not. So I'm real, real appreciative of your impact in that moment. Yeah, well, uh, that's it warms my heart. And you know, as far as the parents go, there there are things I think parents do that um, you, you don't even know about. And I'll I'll give you I'll give you an example. You know, I talk about my dad again. 
when I was in college that that second year, I was again a kind of a screw up, and I phoned home one night, and uh, my father at the time was working for the state, and that they have pretty regular hours, eight thirty in the morning to four thirty in the afternoon. And I called one evening and I asked to speak with him and my mother said he wasn't there. And I said, where is he? Well, he's at a meeting, which I thought was strange um, because in his role in the government, they didn't have meetings in the evening. Well, I come to find out he was working a second job to help pay my tuition. And he never admitted that to me. And I found that out second or third hand. I felt like a real tool uh, because here's a guy he graduated from high school, uh, ended up in what was then the Army Air Corps, which is now the United States Air Force. He was in Guam in the summer of 45 um, before the Japanese surrendered. And then he went to work. And so he never went to college. So his his son, one of his sons, me, was off screwing around. Uh, and he's off, you know, working a second job to help me screw around. And I never knew that until much later. Uh, so some of these things you got to take with a grain of salt. They may do things that you have no idea are benefiting you um, because they don't want, they just think it's a parental thing and they don't want credit for it. Uh, so that was, um, that was kind of a big deal to me when I found that out. I, it gave me a little more focus, shall we say. <laughs> And I, and I think it's made you a uh, a really amazing father based on the knowledge and some of the information you've shared with me with regards to your two amazing daughters. Well, uh, thank you. I have I have learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot from my parents, and I, I try to pass that on. Uh, you know, kind of simple life lessons that some people want to um, make harder. But when they're distilled into their simplest terms, it's not that hard. So, Well, speaking of life lessons, you and I have had a discussion recently about you writing your book. And I'm curious to know how your book writing is going, Carl Fix. Well, uh, is this where I plead the fifth? No, this isn't juicy <laughs> enough to plead the fifth. Um, the, the book writing is uh, I, I have a disparate thoughts and I have a lot of material. I just need to organize it and, and get some type of theme. Uh, but I've been writing, I find, you know, in addition to cycling and running and all these other endurance activities that I find cathartic, I also find writing to be very cathartic. It's very powerful. Um, the ability to convey a message uh, in in just a few words is a very powerful thing, and things that resonate with people. Um, you know, I've had folks respond to some of my posts saying, "Keep doing this." Uh, you know, we need you. Uh, things like that, and these aren't ego tugs. I'm not doing it for the ego tug. I'm just doing it because I love doing it, and I think um, I'm kind of digressing here, but. There's an apocalyptic news cycle daily. It's 24-7. It's nonstop. And if you listened to it all and absorbed it, you you would never get out of bed. And I just think that there is, I've used the word insatiable in this chat already. I'll use it again. There's this insatiable appetite for something good, some positive news. Uh, you know, I've said hope is like oxygen. People need it. So um that's kind of what I'm writing about. Like there are a lot of good people in this world 
And um, roundabout way to saying the book is is still in uh, cyberspace. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> well, uh, trying I, to get it together. It was a loaded question because now that it's in public domain, there's an accountability. This is like you and your cycling in my forty two point two kilometers. So I, I just wanted to crowbar that in there because. I I can't wait to read what you will put together. And I've seen a wee snippet of um, what's likely to be in there, and it's pretty exciting. We're very exciting, in fact. So uh, I'm sure myself and the audience wish you all the best in getting that out. In the next, uh, let's give you let's give you 12 months. All right, I think that's okay. plenty of time to get it well, out. Let me jot that down. <laughs> well, let, let me tell you, I'll share I'll share something with you. As I mentioned, uh, I lost a brother-in-law back in May, and um, I, I gave the eulogy, I eulogized him at his funeral. And uh, I had some folks come up to me after. Um, and w- a friend of mine said a couple weeks after the funeral that my eulogy made Jim come to life again. And that was, uh, that knocked me over. I, I was rendered speechless by that. And I, I put a lot into the eulogy. I did it with my nephew. Uh, we put we combined heads and I spoke, but I, that was the goal was to honor um, Jim and uh, respect him and his legacy. And, and I was able to, to communicate it and make him come alive again. And this gentleman said, we, it was somber, but we actually felt better about ourselves when we left the church. And I only say that, again, not to impress, but to inform that that was very meaningful to me because that's what I try to do with my with my writing is make things come alive. I mean, you know, you've read some snippets of your book to me and you drop the person right into the story. I mean, the chapters you've read to me, I've been on the edge of my seat. Like, how's this going to turn out? I felt like I was right there with you. Uh, And that's a gift. So for somebody to say a eulogy made somebody come alive again, I, I figured, okay, that was mission accomplished because that's what I wanted to do uh, in addition to some other things. But uh, that's, so that's what I'm trying to do with, with my writing. And it's funny, you, I write some things and, and you like them and they're duds. You write some other things like, eh, I'm just going to put this together and it, and it soars. So it, you never know what's going to hit. It's, it's, so it's kind of fun uh, when you put the stuff out there. Well, I know people are thinking, how the hell do I find this amazing man, Carl Vicks? How do people get a hold of you, Carl? So uh, my website is carlfix.com, C-A-R-L-F-I-C-K-S.com. And I'm on LinkedIn. You just pump in my name, Carl Fix, and I'm there every Friday. I do that Friday fix, as you said. I started that at the beginning of the year. And I can share with you, if you'd like, the genesis of that. Uh, it's really a pun on my last name. It's like a little fix, F-I-X. It's just, I'm designing it. I, I try to give a little nugget of wisdom or inspiration that help people through the week. And the, the way that started is I was uh, I went to church as a kid, uh, sometimes under protest, under duress, whatever. Uh, and uh, the priest would give the homily. And some of them were 13, 14, 15 minute finger wagging lectures, history lessons, and the like, and you get nothing out of it. And then you get a priest up there, and in three minutes, he would just light the place up, and he'd give you this little nugget of wisdom that you could think about during the week, and it got you through the week. 
So I started playing around with that. And I said, well, let's play with my last name. So it's the Friday Fix. And I, every Friday I post on LinkedIn. Uh, and I'm now doing a column in a, in a local newspaper, which is um, the first and third Fridays of the month um, with a column of the same name. And uh, so that that's where it is. But my website is carlfix.com and LinkedIn, just Carl Fix. And I'll connect with you. Uh, well, I'm connected with you, but I'll connect with anybody just because I love to share content. And I love to see and read and hear about great things and great people. Brilliant. And Carl, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? Sure. Here's my concluding thought. Um, there was a singer, Harry Chapin. Not sure if you were familiar with him. Uh, he sang Cats in the Cradle, among other things, which has been uh, a lot of people know Cats in the Cradle. Harry Chapin was an incredible songwriter and storyteller. Uh, I had the good fortune of seeing Harry Chapin in the summer of 1980. Harry Chapin was killed in the summer of 1981, 40 years ago. Uh, Harry Chapin was also a great humanitarian, and one of his goals was to wipe out world hunger. And a lot of people don't realize he was such a humanitarian, but Harry Chapin had a saying that, and it was, when in doubt, do something. And I think the when in doubt, do something applies to a lot of things in life, including fitness. When in doubt, do something. When in doubt, go for a walk. When in doubt, go for a run. It also applies to the philanthropic side of life or being in service to people. If there's a problem in your community, when in doubt, just do something. Uh, if you want to, if you think there's a problem at the soup kitchen, go volunteer. So that was Harry Chapin's motto, when in doubt, do something. So uh, that's always rattling around in my head. It's when in doubt, just do something, stay in action, um, stay in motion. However, that motion, uh, take whatever form that motion takes. So I think the when in doubt, do something applies to, again to fitness, but it applies to so many other things in life. So that was the late, great Harry Chapin, who uh, made quite an impact on, on the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Carl Fix. Thank you so much for having me. Ta-da! <laughs> well, what do, you, what do you think hope, of that, Carl? I enjoyed it. I hope that was okay on your end. Oh, mate, it was brilliant, brilliant. I, th I think we, especially towards the latter half, we got into uh, a really good rhythm um, with some really great storytelling there. Yeah, no, I, I, I like, um, I like just letting it kind of meander. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. exactly. I think when you script it, you just you're not thinking; you're thinking of the next question. And it's like, well, Laban gave me 10 questions. And when is he going to get to question nine? And you're thinking about it. It's not, it's not good. No, so, not at all. Not at all. And I, and I, I deliberately didn't, uh, I mean, I, I often write a couple of questions, but because, because we've got to know each other um, pretty damn well, I, I was confident that I could ask you and get you to share um, yeah. and go down a natural route. So now nah, it was really good, Carl, really good. Really well, thanks very much. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. That's kind of pithy, but, um, you know, this is all good stuff. 
Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you something uh, that happened yesterday when I was talking to Susan, right? So the, the, the podcast that she interviewed uh, me on, her uncle Bob, who's 80, watches or listens to the, watches the podcast. And he said to her, I loved that Laban guy you had on the other day. He's given me the confidence to stand up and set boundaries to my wife at 80 years of age. And I was like, Susan, that fucking made my whole week. How good's that? <laughs> yeah. And that's that, that's like, incredible. An 80-year-old dude who's like, oh, that's it. I'm going <laughs> to – I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it, uh, so two weeks ago I played in a golf outing. I used to play a lot of golf before my kids were born, um, but not so much now. So I played in this charity golf outing. No less than four people came up to me who I know in the community and they pointed at me and they're like, love your column, love your column. And, you know, one guy was my dentist and he's retired now and he comes up and I'm like, hey, doc, how you doing? He's like, Carl, love your column. We need more positive shit in the world. I said, yeah, we do, Doc, and that's why I write it. There's so much shit out there, you know? Um, I mean, I'll give, you a, I'll give you another for instance. So this summer, my daughter was at the Pentagon interning, and um, there was a, an after-work party of some sort. She did not go to it. But at that party, there was some incident with a with a guy, one of the life employees at the Pentagon and one of the interns. But my sister, my sister, my daughter has that on good information that it was just uh, it was it was no big deal. Well, this intern who goes to Stanford University has put out an article in the New York fucking Times yesterday alleging that she was sexually harassed by this guy at the Pentagon. And put this guy in the same class as Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton, Governor Andrew Cuomo, and Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And my daughter sent me this article and she said, Dad, read this article in the New York Times. She said, this did not happen. But it's in the fucking New York Times. But here's, you know, as as we get older, we look at things differently at times, as you know. I looked at that and go, so how the fuck did this intern get a fucking piece published in the New York Times. Who does she know? You know what I'm saying? I'll just turn this recording on. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O. ES.com.